you know, we've been talking, those of us who are teachers here at the Pasadena Santa Cruz and people on the board, about how many more people are coming to classes. <laughs> and it's quite wonderful, and we're happy and grateful that you're all here. And I was remembering years and years ago when I was first teaching. We met on Thursday evening at the Santa Cruz Zen Center, and it was a really hot night of six people came. And that was great attendance. I was so happy. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, the first Iraq war happened, and everything changed. And a lot of people started coming to practice. And I'm just thinking that, um, this wasn't what I was planning on talking about, I'll get there, but um, that the world is pretty insane right now and feels really uncertain. At least it does to me, I imagine I'm not the only one. And the way that the Buddha taught is not a way that needs certainty in the world. In fact, if anything, it's a way that's really helpful when in times of uncertainty, being really able to find that place of freedom in any moment, no matter what the moment is, whether it's a pleasant one or an unpleasant one, whether it's easy or extraordinarily difficult, whether you're filled with health and happiness and abundance, or whether you're sick or even dying and struggling. And the contention is, and I think it's true, that under any circumstance it's possible to find a place in which to place the mind-heart-body complex that is a place of freedom. There's a wonderful um, piece from Ajahn Chah who talks about the awakened mind and he says your mind will become still like a clear forest pool and all kinds of wonderful creatures will come to drink from that pool some of them pretty strange actually <laughs> and you will be still he says he says this is the mind of the Buddha. This is the awakening of the Buddha, that place where the mind is able to be present with whatever arises, wonderful, difficult, whatever. And so a lot of these lists, you know, sometimes it's a little overwhelming, all the lists, all <coughs> those of us who teach like them because they're handy for organizing talks around. <laughs> and they're, they're handy because you can sometimes hold on to a list that gives you a, a tool. And so these are all about ways to support your own awakening. So this list that is the factors of awakening, you remember when you took algebra? Probably everybody mm -hmm. took some algebra somewhere down the line. And if you remember way back when you were taking algebra, you factored equations, right? You broke them down into their elements. And so these are the factors of awakening. These are the elements of awakening, if you will. If you were to tease the awakened mind apart a little bit, 
these are some of the things that you would find. They're really important qualities, if you will, of the awakened mind. Mindfulness itself. So just that ability to be present, to know that you are present, to know that you know, and to know what is going on. So you're really there. And then there's a quality of it has different names. The word I like is investigation. But it's not an active investigation like you might do in your therapist's office or in your journal. But it's more that little investigative edge of being really willing to penetrate, actually, with your awareness. That's a good word. To penetrate with your awareness what your experience is. To go right into it. What is this? Am I sad? Am I angry? Now, what is this tightening that's happening in my heart, or the clenching in my jaw, or this experience I'm having that I call hearing, but, you know, can you begin to take it at a deeper level, maybe vibration on the eardrum, and what happens when you do that? So really that little edge of investigation. And then it takes energy. You cannot do, you know, all of you put out energy in order to get here, right? Everybody did. You bicycled, walked, drove your car, organized your day, and you got here. It's astounding, you know, all this energy just to get here. And then it takes a certain amount of energy to kind of pull yourself together and sit still and give your attention to the breath and the body and to keep coming back. That wonderful, simple, basic instruction that in some ways I think is the instruction of our practice over and over again come back, come back, come back it takes definite level of energy and effort to keep coming back and then there's a quality of other word used sometimes rapture, sometimes joy that arises where the practice when we start doing it starts feeling delicious and sometimes there's sensations that go with it in the body, and there's it's a it's a very pleasant experience. And again, I would guess because I'm looking around the room, I know a lot of you, and I know you've done a lot of practice, and I know you keep coming back, and I know you're not all masochists. So <laughs> somewhere in there, you know, my sense is that it gets wonderful sometimes, and I'm just thinking. I was thinking, as I was thinking about this talk, to a period of retreat that I sat this spring. And there were some days when I got, after I got pretty quiet, that were so delicious. The stillness, the quietness of the mind. So that's some of what the, is being talked about here. And then that, that leads into a kind of quietness, you know, and calm, serenity, tranquility, which is one of the factors. And then, out of all of that, concentration can come. Isn't that interesting? Concentration, we, we so want it to come first. But it can't come first. You're not ready for it first. The mind isn't ready for it first. And so then, when there's some joy, some serenity, then the concentration can arise. And then out of the concentration, equanimity, that ability to stay balanced. So these are all factors. It's helpful to know them. It's helpful to begin to sort of look around. What what is it that I need? 
you know, what is it? Do I need the energizing ones? So that's um, investigation and um, energy and rapture. Or do I need the ones that are more about being quiet and the thing we were looking at at the beginning of the sitting? So you can feed, you can support these qualities of awakening, or you can do things that dispel them. And one of the other important lists, it's actually not on the list of, of the wings of awakening, because it's not about it's what keeps you from not waking up, and it's a list that many of you are very familiar with, which is the hindrances of desire and aversion and restlessness and sloth and torpor <laughs> so that place of sleepiness and really low energy and doubt of the not the kind of doubt that is sort of trying to figure out how things are but more the doubt that's a little despairing and says none of this is going to work and I might as well give up that kind of doubt so these are also elements that you do not want to feed but they're very very And one of the reasons that they're very tricky um, is because we all have tendencies in a particular direction. And I thought this might be an interesting place to look tonight. That, so in order to support the factors of awakening, you actually have to know, you know, what's getting in the way of your awakening. And so, um, there is a Buddhist personality chart some of you know this, but not all of you do. And in the Buddhist world, you are either a greed type, or you are an aversive type, or you are a deluded type. And delusion, I think, covers restlessness, sloth and torpor, and doubt. So that's the hindrances. And this particular list is also called the three obscurations. Greed, hatred, or aversion, and delusion. So here's the test. So I want you to listen and think a little as I'm saying these things so you can sort out what you are. So the test is, you walk in, maybe into here, the first time ever to this room. And you look around and you go, this is great. I really like the yellow paint. I wonder where they got it. And that tanka over there on the wall, a beautiful tanka, I want one of those for my room. And bamboo floor, I'm going to run right out and look at the catalog for bamboo floor. And you are, you know, busily acquiring. Or maybe you walk in and you go, oh dear, how could they? I mean, really, yellow? <laughs> and some of the cushions are pretty ratty and that rug over there in the library I mean, excuse me and the sort of ragtag assembly of uh, tables and bookcases I mean, that just won't do and this place is really impossible so you know what kind of person you are if you do that or you walk in and you look around and Maybe later somebody says, how was your visit to Vipassana Sankers? What was it like there? And you go, don't know. Didn't notice anything. And so you don't see. You just don't register. That's the deluded type. Mm-hmm. Now, it's easy to get 
critical about what type you are. And it's actually, for many, many years, I'm going to back up a little, for many, many years, I told myself I was a greed type. Somehow that was sort of a nice type to be. You know? I don't know why. <laughs> 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 it's like a type to be. <laughs> <laughs> way better than being an aversive <laughs> And something, something happened when I was in, doing a period of solo retreat. Some message came through to me that I had a strong reaction to it. And I went, oh my goodness, I'm really an aversive type. It was sort of like that moment when you say, hi, my name is Mary and I'm an alcoholic. (laughs) (laughs) Finally admitting it. And it was such a profound awakening for me. And it has been so extraordinarily helpful. Because your personality type is sort of your default way of being in the world. It's where you go on automatic. It's not, it doesn't mean anything, so please don't take it. It's just, it's just helpful to know that if your knee-jerk reaction, as mine often is, is aversion, I don't like it, I want to go home, get me out of here, then you can begin to watch for that and be awake, right? This is what we're doing, is we're trying to be awake. If your knee-jerk reaction is to pick up the catalogs and start leaping through them and go, oh yes, this and this and this and this, and to start being in acquisition mode even when it's not (coughs) useful, it's helpful to know that. If your, I think delusion is actually the hardest one because it's the hardest one to catch. How do you know that you're deluded if you're deluded? (laughs) But if you begin to understand that that's your way of being in the world, you can begin to question some of the stories you have about yourself and who you are. So, how many people here think that they're a greed type? Yeah, about a third of you. And how many of you are fairly certain that you're an aversive type? Oh, we get a lot of aversive. Must be aversive teachers attract aversive students. And how about deluded? A few of you. Uh, so, so here's my exercise for the evening. I'd like all the greed people to gather. <laughs>
that intentional coverage again, but also relationships uh, was another thing. So having a lot of relationships. So a lot of it was about about uh, uh, acquiring, uh-huh. and then also about grasping, holding on, so not letting go. So stuff becoming. It's, you know, then you go you go to the to the extreme of that, which would be you know I think there's a, a, a term called hoarding. So it sounds like more is the operative word for dream. Right? <laughs> right? So if you have yeah. you know, that place where more kicks in. Okay, how about one of the aversion groups? If you're not too averse. <laughs> <laughs> well, our group uh, talked about lots of things. What came up a lot was the idea of fear, that we create a lot of stories in our heads about um, fear concepts about things, so then it stops ourselves, so then we create walls, and um, but then we realize that these are stories that, we, that we've created, and um, that, but sometimes we find some positiveness in the fear, but then sometimes it still stops us from moving forward. We have judgment, we're self-critical of ourselves and of others, um, of the world, perhaps, uh, and um, yeah, I think that was. But fear came up quite a bit, uh, and uh, it sort of protects us. But then we we realize it kind of stops us. And then then there was also some doubting of why we're we here, you know. So we have our own stories. <laughs> we're glad that we're here. <laughs> Very happy. And the other aversion group, person, their aversion. Oh, we're terribly averse, actually. So I I would end up reiterating a lot of what you have to say around fear that came up quite a bit. Um, Also, just the notion in general that our first um, sort of sense when we walk into the situation is uh, that we tend to be quite analytical and very easily can find what's wrong in any given situation and how it could be fixed and why didn't you do that. <laughs> um, but also that that same uh, that same activity uh, of analysis is also a skill, and that um, it, it really allows us to discriminate and to uh, in our practice and to focus, you know, setting pushing aside things that might be distracting, and uh, and really to kind of focus in on our practice, for instance, and disregard some other things. So that that analysis and discernment um, are uh, really can be. The discernment piece of that can be a really helpful to uh-huh. right. So you're really looking at the what happens when you begin to wake up to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now the deluded folks. <laughs> We're not actually here. <laughs> Are you speaking for your church? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Um, uh, the description you gave uh, for the delusional uh, situation actually worked really well because um, uh, a lot, a number of us shared the idea that coming into a place like this, leaving, we would be most likely to not really know what it was like and actually have to struggle with it uh, because uh, our shared sense is that um, uh, we get so wrapped up in our own head trips that we lose track of where we actually are. And uh, that extends to uh, things like work, uh, where um, I think uh, doomsday scenarios frequently create those, and then later on you find that it's really not that big a deal. 
So a, a lot of stuff like that. Um, and then I can't recall some of it because I was too lost in my own mind. Remember all the keys? All right, thanks. You just did it for us. Thank you. Uh, the other is there another deluded person who's speaking? Ah. We couldn't come to. The, we had a number of different uh, thoughts about this. <laughs> Some felt like they had high energy, and um, others were like tired and, and uh, felt depression going around in circles in the thought processes or being extremely focused and ignoring things in the environment because it's so focused. So kind of, but it was a whole mix and range of experiences. So, and we couldn't decide if we were for sure to lose it, so. I'd love listening to Good politicians. <laughs> Unfortunately, that may be true. So, just to come back then to where we started, um, I think you can see how much when we begin to look at this and you really begin to own this is your MO in life, this is how you operate that you begin to then have the potential for being more awake. And so, like Dan was saying, for the aversive people, you know, there is that quality of judgment and criticism that is, can be so strong in the aversive mind. And But when it is an awakened judgment and an awakened discernment, it can be very helpful. So, now, lest you think you're off the hook, <laughs> Basically, all of us are all of them, right? Mm-hmm. And so you have one that's predominant, and then there are people, you know how in the Enneagram you can have a wing? Well, there are people in, in the Buddhist world who think you have a sort of a secondary. So you might be, you know, a greed type with a strong aversion wing, or you might be a type with a strong greed wing, or however you want to frame it. So, so we do have all of them, and um, they're all qualities of the mind that, that are obscurations. They keep you from seeing clearly. They keep you from being awake. And so the, the art of this, to come back to that notion, is that the more you are intimate with your own mind and heart, the more you understand where you can get caught and where you can get stuck, then the freer you are to move into a more awakened place and then to begin to look at at feeding and supporting the qualities of waking up, the qualities of mindfulness and investigation and effort and joy and um, serenity and concentration and equanimity. So so it's really a, a kind of a dance and a process and it's not anything for most of us that happens one time and then you're done. It's something that you do over and over and over and over again. And so, you know, somebody, um, I think it was a quote that came from Joko Beck that she, who died just recently, and mm-hmm. was a great Zen teacher, and she said, you know, all these years of practice, she was in her mid-90s when she died, mm-hmm. 
So all these years of practice, her mind hadn't changed very much. <laughs> but she behaved a lot better. <laughs> so, so that's, you know, that's good news, right? So it may be that, that the, the mind continues to be tricky and difficult and it gets caught. But the more awake we are to it, the more alert we are to it, then the more we can live in an awakened way. And then when you live in that awakened way, you live in a way where you suffer less, even in the heart of a really crazy world. So, please. So, if discrimination is sort of the awakened aspect of um, aversion, for the, and so that you could nourish or mm-hmm. nurture discrimination, mm-hmm. for the other two, what would be like the awakened end of awakened the spectrum? Awakened Joy. Joy. Creativity. Creativity. Some sense of abundance and ease, mm-hmm. maybe. Um, I don't know if there's an awakened delusion or not. <laughs> That's pretty tricky, I think. Yeah, I don't. You know, I, don't, I um, They invented that a little bit. Those are worst types. You know, I don't think. I might be wrong. You can correct me, maybe if you know. Um, I do not believe that each one of these has its sort of opposite that's okay. But so they are all, there are qualities that are helpful, and in this particular case, that aspect of the averse mind can be used in a. Because I'm thinking, even almost just that flame, like you could take desire and if you yeah, put it yeah. into desire for awakening. Right, absolutely. absolutely. And there are perfectly good desires. And desire is not all about, um, it's not that desire itself is bad, it's the, it, it's the attachment, it's the Velcro place that gets really tricky, where you have to have. So if you want to wake up, you have a desire to wake up, you go to retreats and you read books and you practice, that's great, that passion, that's fine. If you have to be an awakened person, by God, you're going to be in trouble and you will suffer because you're attached and you're not going to be, unless you're full, a fully awakened being and I don't know any of those um, then you will have your moments when you're not awake Isn't that somewhat delusional too? That is probably <laughs> 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 Yeah so the, I mean it's a little bit of a hologram, right? If you go far enough into greed you get to aversion. If you go far enough into aversion, you get to greed. There's lots of delusion everywhere. So don't take it as a totally linear. It, it's a fun. It's fun actually to consider. You know what's your what's your long suit. But it's don't lock yourself into it's a, an absolute. You know you were born on the 12th of October and therefore. <laughs> so, please yes. Um. During the course of this, I, I came up with a, a good metaphor for what I consider part of my delusion, uh, my deluded MO, uh, is that my intentions can be weak sometimes, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the way I describe that is anybody who's uh, read Family Circle, if you're familiar with that one, where um, it's, a, it's about a family, and it always, it's drawn in a circle in the comics, but anyway. <laughs> The kid, the mom tells the, the, one of the, the little kids, the small ones, uh, to deliver something to the next door neighbor. And so 
the whole cartoon is just one frame, is all of his little detours on the way. So it's never a straight line. It's all these diversions, and he goes checks, and he, he sees an egg, and then he kicks the can, and you know. And yeah. I think that's, that's a pretty and good description. Strong intention can be helpful in, in all of these, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else before? Well, um, I was just going to say an image that um, I heard one time about um, about the greed personality and the uh, aversive personality was in I think in relation to the creation of Spirit Rock, mm-hmm. and his teacher was saying that it was wonderful to have aversive people because they really had this vision, but it was totally you know this straight ahead kind of thing. But it was totally complemented by the greed personality because they had this huge, big, inclusive vision, and they just worked really well together. Um, I was there. (laughs) (laughs) And I would say, obviously, yes, it worked really well together. And... It was not without its struggle, and we had a few deluded people. In there. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know what that part would add, but I just know aversive. I can miss. I can miss yeah. a lot of possibilities. Yes. Yeah. 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 Okay, I think we'll stop. Let me just make a couple of. We have a whole bunch of. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.